prison turned into like big business in every form. Like everything they got, you have to pay for everything. They're just figuring out a way to capitalize on, on us in every way, you know. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. I'm Emma Johnson. And I'm Mia Beach, and we're your hosts for this program. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand-to-hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. We're happy to start off this episode by announcing that our friend Marius Mason will soon be out of isolation and moved into the general prison population. This means that Marius will share space with other prisoners, have a roommate and more communication abilities, and for the first time in far too long, access to the outdoors. We're thrilled to see him be able to have a bit more freedom of movement and to finally be able to walk amongst trees and on grass. Congratulations, Marius. You can read more about this and other updates at supportmariusmason.org. The Indy Star reports that the Indiana Department of Corrections, or IDOC, has instituted a new policy with regard to mail sent to incarcerated people. Only lined white paper with white envelopes is now acceptable. Cards of all types, greetings, birthday, or holiday, are no longer acceptable. Legal mail is exempted from the new policy, which went into effect on April 1st. The IDOC claims that senders are treating mail with liquid K2, a synthetic mixture of chemicals that becomes a synthetic cannabinoid when smoked. The DOC claims that users can become aggressive or violent. K2 is nearly impossible to detect. It evades drug-sniffing dogs, and drug tests don't detect it either. One adjustment to the chemical makeup of the drug will prohibit it from registering on drug tests. Only white paper can be used for mail because it's easier to see if it's been tampered with. The call for this year's June 11th was released late last month. June 11th is a day of solidarity with long-term anarchist prisoners, including Marius Mason, a former Bloomington resident. The day has been an occasion for support fundraisers and solidarity actions in Bloomington and around the world for nearly 10 years. The following is an excerpt from the call, which can be found at june11th.org. While the starting point of our project was support for Marius Mason and Eric McDavid, it has been through a spreading web of communications that we've expanded the scope of our project to solidarity with long-term anarchist prisoners around the world. This year, we are seeking to emphasize this communication. Maintaining communication is a lifeline for those caught in the snares of state repression or locked in its dungeons. Prisons function to isolate those held within these dungeons, to remove them from human community, and to break their will. Receiving letters and publications, being able to connect with individuals outside of the walls, and being able to call upon the solidarity of comrades on the outside are all vitally important to retaining dignity in dehumanizing conditions. When Chelsea Manning attempted suicide, communication enabled her and those close to her to mobilize and act. For prisoners who seem to live under a microscope due to their rebellious activities, a constant stream of letters shows their tormentors that they have friends on the outside and that there will be consequences for any action taken against them. Throughout the September 9th U.S. prison strike, the relationships built over the years made it possible to know of work strikes and rebellions happening in prisons all over the country, allowing supporters to organize counter-repressive actions. The full call can be found at june11th.org. Fox News recently reported that a woman who purchased a purse made in China at a Walmart store found a note in Chinese in the zipper compartment. A Chinese-speaking person translated the note into English, and two other Chinese speakers verified the accuracy of the translation. 
The note said that inmates in the Yingshan prison in Guangxi, China, are working 14 hours a day with no breakfast or rest at noon. They work overtime until midnight, and anyone who does not finish his or her work is beaten. Meals are served without oil or salt. Once a month, the inmates receive 2,000 yuan, or $290 in pay. Prison officials then deduct the cost of medication from prisoners' salaries. The note ends, quote, Prison in China is unlike prison in America, unquote. In the past, similar notes have appeared in items sold at stores such as Saks Fifth Avenue and Kmart. According to the Marshall Project, on April 26, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, Ted Deutsch, a Democrat from Florida, urged his fellow members of Congress and the Department of Justice to look into deaths and abuses in for-profit inmate transport vehicles. Deutsch referred to a recent Marshall Project story about a man who died in March on a bus run by Prisoner Transportation Services, or PTS, the country's largest extradition corporation. The man was at least the fifth prisoner to die in a PTS vehicle since 2012. Before this, Deutsch called for a hearing to investigate the lack of federal oversight of private inmate transport corporations. After a Marshall Project expose of the industry published in the New York Times in July, then-U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch promised that her office would investigate the issue, but no action ensued. There is little hope that anything positive on the issue will come out of the office of current Attorney General Jeff Sessions. This week, we're talking about commissary. Let's say you, like many people who labor in Indiana prisons, are making 78 cents a day and start with little to nothing in your commissary account. You're working in one of the housing unit's sanitation groups or tending to the prison grounds. How many days of work would it take to purchase something from commissary? It would take one full day of work before you could afford a birthday card with an envelope to mail to someone on the outside. If you didn't buy the birthday card and work two full days, you'd have enough to buy a can of refried beans. Three days, and if you bought nothing else, you could buy a baseball cap. Four workdays, scrubbing toilets or sanitizing showers, and you have enough for a pack of college-ruled paper or a box of bran flakes. It's not until you've worked about six days that you can finally afford a small book of stamps. Now you can mail the birthday card that you bought almost a week ago. The prices keep increasing. Items that would cost some fraction of one hour at a minimum wage outside of prison take days of work to afford on the inside. Most packaged meals take at least one day of work, and clothing can take weeks. If you need something slightly more expensive, let's say a sports bra or a small desk fan, you'll need to work a month or more while purchasing nothing else from the commissary. By the way, that's 23 days of work for a clip-on desk fan and 38 days for a sports bra. All of this assumes that you are guaranteed a full day's work, six and a half hours, every single day. But this isn't always the case, and a job that says on paper that it pays 78 cents, or at most, $1.50, may look more like 50 cents or 25 cents. Correctional officers sign off on each hour, and sometimes there's just less to clean or less to cook. Prisoners who make $15 or more in a month surpass the DOC's arbitrary threshold for indigence. They become disqualified from one of the few basic provisions the Indiana Department of Corrections offers, a bag of sample-sized toiletries, including lye-based soap, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, and a small tube of toothpaste. Up next, we'll hear from Patrick, a former inmate and KiteLine correspondent, about his experiences with commissary while incarcerated. The experience with commissary is uh, definitely interesting in a really closed environment. We'll say, you know, when being in prison, 
your world is so much smaller, right? So what that means is that the smaller things gain in importance. So, you know, something small like a, you know, like a, a ramen noodle soup tends to take on pretty high importance. It's a, it's an interesting valuation because, like, uh, when, when I was there, I will say this. Most of the people that I knew in, in prison tended to associate a fair portion of their self-worth by their ability to purchase commissary. You know, essentially, if you if you were unable to purchase commissary, then you didn't have anybody on the outside who would look after you, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it has, like, this really magnified importance uh, of a possession. You think about, you know, in the in the free world, you know, somebody's car or somebody's house and how important that is as far as their sort of personal status and, and sort of self-worth and so forth. It's, it pretty much takes the place of that. Because of that, there's a fair portion of uh, absurdities that come out of it. In my own case, I didn't necessarily scam my friends and family for commissary money, but I was I was very convincing as far as you know, how important it was to to have commissary and to have, you know, a new pair of sneakers and enough T-shirts and, and stuff like that, the small things that you could purchase, you know, or if you get to a place where you can have like a Walkman or that type of stuff. I put a lot of pressure on my family by asking them for, for money on a, a very regular basis. It takes money from some of the people with the least amount of money by and large, the demographic that ends up in prison are, you know, people from poor and, and sort of lower level socioeconomic backgrounds. And not only is it asking for money from them, but it's also paying more than you would in the supermarket. You know, you can go into a supermarket and get 10 ramen noodle soups, you know, for a dollar or whatever. And they're extremely cheap. In prison, they're, you know, 25 to 50 cents. The, the markup is ridiculous. That's everything across the board. And most of the places where I was at, the, the state prisons where I um, did some of my time, they contracted those out to a private company. So very little of the money that came through that was actually going toward prison operations. It's almost like the, you know, the, the phone services from prison. They're so expensive, they say there's all of these costs, but it's a private company that's doing it, and they're pumping up the rates to go far beyond what it takes to do the extra operations. The, the, the markup on commissary is much higher than what's necessary to pay for, you know, people bringing the stuff to the prisons and stocking it and bringing it out to the, uh, to the inmates. It's, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a big business, you know. It's another profit center off of incarceration. And then from an inmate's perspective, there's all sorts of absurdities that happen because it's so important. You know, there's a lot of theft. There, there's a lot of uh, competition as far as that goes for commissary. I would imagine it, just that adds to the cost of incarceration because, you know, safety issues and so forth, people... Um, fighting and stealing and doing all the things that come along with that. And then, you know, internally on a, on a personal level, 
the times when I was unable to have commissary and something that you know, you attach so much value to as far as meaning one's self-worth, without that, you know, who are you? Many prisons across the country, we have a problem with homeless and mentally ill populations ending up incarcerated. They had long, long lost their connections with their family and, you know, the friends and associates they had on the streets, you know, obviously were like homeless and not in a position to send them any money. They could only go off of what they could earn, which is very little. And so a lot of times there ends up being something of a social strata and these people end up on the bottom of it considered, you know, of less worth because they possess less. Something that I haven't mentioned yet is also the, the physical absurdities that happen from the stuff that you can buy. I mean, you can't buy whole grain healthy products from commissary. What you can buy is ramen noodle soups and candy bars and junk. So physically, there's a cost as far as the high sodium, high processed sugar diet. Not only, you know, uh, from a humanitarian perspective, there's cost to the person, to the people that end up consuming all of these unhealthy foods and probably psychological and mental health issues that come along with the unhealthy diet, but also there's the, the institutional cost of, you know, there's extra healthcare costs for high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, all of that stuff. Up next, we have a brief conversation between Branton and Odette. Branton Nugent has been in prison for 19 years and solitary for five of those years. He and Odette have been corresponding for three years. Branton writes children's books and poetry, and you can read his essay entitled Solitary Confinement on the American Prison Writing Archive website. Here, they talk a little bit about his experiences with commissary. I usually buy coffee, you know, so I have coffee all the time. And then after that, I usually get tuna and mackerel and salmon. I try to eat those things. And then after that, it just depends, like pop. I like Dr. Pepper. And then I try to eat healthy. I try not to get that many soups because they're not good for you. And uh, I like refried beans and um, cheese bars. And then I get peanuts for the protein after I work out. They got like 25 grams of protein in them. And that's just like I try my best to eat healthy. But a lot of people that order commissary just get like chips and cakes and stuff, you know, like uh, honey buns and Little Debbie's boxes of Little Debbie's Nutty Bars and stuff like that because they get more. You get the stuff that's the cheapest is the stuff that's worse for you, you know, like cakes and Cakes and chips and all that stuff is the cheapest stuff on commissary, and it's the, it's what's bad for you. Like the tuna and fish and stuff is expensive. The food on the trays is kind of horrible. You know what I mean? It's like uh, I mean, I'm not going to say they don't feed you because they do, but it's like a lot of bread and a lot of pasta and noodles and stuff like that. I think a lot of the meat is is soy meat products too or or turkey. And so I don't I don't eat a lot of that. Like I don't eat a lot of bread I throw in the garbage and 
some of the main dishes I eat because they're all okay, you know, what they got beans for protein and stuff. But a lot of it's just trash. You know, I just eat I eat commissary. Do you think that like most uh, other inmates, gen generally tend to follow that trend too? Like they don't really use the the tray, like the provided food as much, and they kind of rely on the commissary. I think if they're fortunate, they do. But a lot of people that are in here ain't fortunate. They don't have a lot of people out there that care about them. And so, you know, they don't have a lot of money to buy commissary to supplement their diet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they have no choice but to eat what they got on the trays. Recently, it went from Penn Products to Union Supply. Mm -hmm. Union Supply took it over. I'm not exactly sure why. I heard it was over a contract dispute with... These JPEG fives we're supposed to be getting, we're supposed to be getting these little handheld JP5 things that we can download music. You know, it's all it all is gets plugged into the kiosk that that you contact me on, and we can buy movies and books and music and stuff on there and have it all the time in our room. And I think we can download our messages and videos and stuff like that. Anyway, I heard it was over a dispute on on that, and so. They didn't renew the contract, and Union Supply took it over. Anything you get is a lot more expensive than if you just went to a grocery store and bought it. Like a ramen noodle soup is 33 cents for one. I, I'm not sure how much one ramen noodle soup is at the grocery store, but when I was at home, they were like eight cents. A six pack of pop is two sixty. Like anything, like a little small bag of tuna is a dollar seventy. Yeah, it's not yeah. a lot in it. Prison turned into like big business in every form like everything they got you have to pay for everything you know what I mean like phone I mean obviously you got to pay for your phone but now they sell phone minutes on commissary so we can pay for it ourselves and like if you go to the dentist or the doctor you have to pay a, a, a fee first everything like with this kiosk you got to buy all these stamps and then they're going to have everything just cost you know what I mean they're they're figuring out they have all these food sales you know, they just had Arby's. They just packed out Arby's yesterday, but they're just figuring out a way to capitalize on on us in every way, you know. The following is a piece that was contributed to us by someone after their extensive research into commissary companies, their practices, and its impact on prisoners. Last year, the Indiana Department of Corrections signed a deal with the California-based Union Supply Group, a company which also supplies and manages commissary in several other states. The deal made Union Supply the primary distributor of purchasable goods within Indiana prisons, as well as packages ordered for prisoners by those on the outside. Union Supply also became the manager of a distribution facility owned by the Department of Corrections in Plainfield, which uses prisoner labor to package goods which will be sold in the commissaries. The deal represents a major shift in IDOC practices as it outsources most of the commissary operations to a private third party. As big of a change as this is for IDOC, the change for inmates is far greater. Commissaries represent the sole legal means through which an inmate can supplement their diets, access entertainment like MP3 players and televisions, and basic goods like toothpaste or stationery. Often, in the cases where the same company both manages commissaries and kiosks through which inmates can send and receive emails and money in their accounts, it is the only contact they have with the outside. The contract between the IDOC and Union Supply Group means that these things are now in the hands of a private, profit-driven corporation. 
Union Supply has no interest in the well-being or even the lives of inmates. It seeks only to increase its market share. This, however, does not stop them from presenting their business as one of service to their customers. The fact that their customers are in cages doesn't affect them one bit. In fact, the whole deal paints a striking image of the liberal capitalist imagination where the logic of money and commodities supplants the social relationships between people. In this dream world where the free market reigns, only some people are literally free, while others are forced to participate. Let's take a deeper look at how this process works in Indiana prisons. How do commissaries work exactly? Let's imagine. You're incarcerated anywhere in the United States. Every day, you and every other inmate are provided with identical meals. Often, everything you eat is boiled the day before, leaving a tasteless mush supposed to provide you with the day's nutrients. The fact that you have specific needs, different from everyone else, does not factor into the prison's decisions on what food to provide. Maybe you're required to work each day as part of your sentence. You expend far more energy than inmates who don't or cannot work. Or maybe you have special medical requirements or dietary needs. It doesn't help that the prison provides the bare minimum number of calories. You have no choice but to spend your own money or money from friends and family to supplement your diet. So you buy a pack of ramen noodles. And you have to do this almost every day just to not feel hungry. A single package of Marachan ramen noodles on the outside costs about 29 cents. That's not necessarily what the DOC paid for it, though, and the IDOC tags a 36% markup on every item. Let's assume you pay the minimum, maybe 33 cents per package, which may not seem like much until you consider that, according to a recent study, the majority of prisoners have less than $5 in their commissary account. Maybe you can get by eating ramen noodles every day, but that doesn't mean that you'll be satisfied. Satisfaction is not guaranteed in this business. This is a side of the story that only inmates see. Coverage of commissaries in the mainstream media almost exclusively focuses on the perspective of so-called victims and their families, despite the fact that most prisoners are incarcerated for nonviolent offenses which lack victims in any reasonable sense of the term. The media presents commissaries as distributors of luxury items, the kind of privilege provided by the prison. The fact that inmates are often buying back the products of their own labor at a significant markup, making a huge profit for the state or private company, never enters into the narrative. The annual revenue for the commissary sales in the Texas Department of Corrections alone is nearly $100 million, with around $36 million in profit. The most popular item? Ramen noodles. Before the contract with Union Supply Group, IDOC commissaries were managed by a state monopoly corporation called Penn Products. Its base of operations is at the Plainfield Correctional Center, where inmates are employed in managing the inventory and packing shipments. Union Supply is the new manager of both the Plainfield facility and the in-house commissary operations. In 2012, the IDOC made an inquiry into the state on whether Penn Products could outsource its commissary division to a private entity. The result was a detailed business proposal from Union Supply, then already a wholesale supplier to Penn. The proposal itself provides a window into the pathology of prison profiteering. Union Supply views its customers not as the people that ultimately consume the product it distributes, but the government departments that it works for. Their mission is to make a profit while simultaneously saving the state money and increasing its revenue. Of course, this is nothing more than a state-sanctioned monopoly and is one of many. In theory, or at least legally, the state should not permit such monopolies, a fact that led to a class-action lawsuit against the IDOC and Marion County Sheriff's Office in 2009 for entering into a monopoly contract with Ameritech to provide inmate phones. The contract gave 53% of all sales to the IDOC. The suit was rejected by the Indiana Court of Appeals, however, claiming that the phone prices were, quote, reasonable and appropriate, end quote. 
That Union Supply is also a monopoly with no liability for the quality of its products does not keep it from presenting itself as a well-intentioned company whose profit-making capability is beneficial for society as a whole. If you were to go to the front page of the Union Supply Commissary Solutions website, you'd see a banner composed of four successive images. A smiling customer service employee, a collection of tubs containing Union Supply products, a handshake, and finally, the inside of a cell block. Prisoners are conspicuously absent. In its pitch to the IDOC, Union Supply states that it can provide for the needs of, quote, increasingly diverse prison population. The reality is that diversity in this instance means only the disproportionate incarceration of people of color. But Union Supply does not skip a beat in its liberal presentation, and for a good reason. The economics of prison profiteering is merely the condensed form of capitalism in general. In it, we see the truth of a fundamentally unfree society. One of Union Supply's taglines is, quote, the providers of choice, end quote. In this one phrase, we have the whole secret of the subtext of capitalist society. Freedom, we're told, is the power of choice, but the variety of choices are limited, and they don't just drop out of the sky. We have the power to choose, but choose from what? Clearly from those who provide choice. And what's more, our choices are the fruits of our own labor. In the Jim Crow South and the company towns of early industry, workers would spend their days laboring for a boss or a plantation owner who paid them in a script only accepted at stores owned by the same bosses. The stores were stocked with items that the workers themselves had just produced. This is an expanded and disjointed form of the same process. In the prison industry, we see it once again reduced to its most basic, exploitative elements. At the same time, it demonstrates the direct line from slavery to mass incarceration and its economic structure. This is why Union Supply can speak in the same terms as any big corporation marketing to an ostensibly free consumer. The literal unfreedom of its customers is just an extension of the logic at play in the workplace. Also on their website, one can view images of Union Supply employees laboring away in a soulless warehouse under constant surveillance, a fact that the company proudly displays as proof of their commitment to security. The word security stylized and emblazoned on iron bars. The word inside Indiana prisons is that the changeover to Union Supply has dramatically decreased the quality of commissary operations. Prices of all goods have increased, and in many cases, if not all, inmates are not even permitted to see the prices of things before they're purchased. None of this is surprising to prisoners. They come to expect that any glimmer of choice or freedom of movement is vulnerable to revocation, and conditions on the inside have a tendency to erode unless constantly struggled against. At Wabash Valley, the prison administration feeds inmates barely enough calories to replenish what they lose during the day. The prison is always kept cold to keep people in their beds under blankets or else burning energy to keep their bodies warm. These are conditions which make mind-focusing activities like weightlifting a costly endeavor. And the cost just keeps going up. Union Supply and the IDOC have made sure of that. They need a tired, sickly, passive population. A population that dependably buys from commissary, and which remains physically and socially too weak to resist. The same holds for all prisons throughout the country. It's a fact that underlines the necessity of coordinated struggle between the inside and the out. Prisons use all means necessary to ensure the struggle inside is impossible. A goal always falling short of realization, partly because we on the outside know what is happening and refuse to accept it. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the show. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. 
Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512, or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.